You're listening to Voices Not Victims, empowering you to share your story, eliminate shame, shatter the victim label, and lift up your voice. Welcome to the Voices Not Victims podcast. I'm your host and the creator of Voices Not Victims, Katie McMahon. Today, we have an amazing host. I had the privilege of being on her podcast. She puts out so much good in the world with the podcast she has on addressing issues of mental health, depression, anxiety, coping with trauma. I mean, you really got to check her out. Her name is Whitley Rogers. And Whitley is a certified life coach, mental health advocate, and survivor of sexual and mental abuse. She is a podcast host on In the Wake with Whitley and the co-founder of the End the Stigma Foundation. Through sharing her own story and speaking up for these things, she strives to empower others and let them know they aren't alone in the struggle. Today's episode, you'll find she has the most calming voice, calming energy. I mean, if you are in the mood to be chill and really just feel connected and that you aren't alone, this is an excellent episode to do so. I will give a trigger warning episode. We do talk about abuse in relationships and some of the trauma that we've both been through. So in the event that that is very triggering for you, then I would not advise this episode But in general, I do believe she has a very beautiful energy she brings to the table that brings the calmness that we need for these really heavy topics. So with that said, let's get into it. Well, thank you, Whitley, so much for coming on the show today. I'm really glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, and I forgot to tell you this yesterday when we were talking, but um, I loved your t-shirt. I noticed it said warrior on it. And I was yes, like, oh, with the little semicolon. It was a suicide prevention shirt. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I used to have a bracelet that said that my friends got me that said warrior engraved on it. And it was like my favorite thing. I lost it, but I just tell myself now that like it ended up in the hands of whoever is supposed to have it. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But that, I noticed your t-shirt and I was like, oh, I have to tell her that tomorrow. <laughs> Thank um, you. So I wanted to kind of start with you sharing your story, who you are. Um, I know you have a podcast, you're doing a Mm -hmm. lot. So kind of telling everyone about yourself. Yeah. So probably the reason I'm here is because I'm a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. Um, I also struggle with anxiety, depression, panic attacks, trauma, obviously, from my abuse. So I found myself in an abusive relationship in high school. It was my first ever relationship. I was 15 when he started pursuing me. So it was a really rough time being like, I was new to this. I never 
you know, had an intimate relationship with someone like that before. And I came from a religious, like conservative background, which I have very much stepped away from for many reasons and one being the abuse. But so I was, I wouldn't say sheltered, but like, you know, sex was a very shameful topic and I wasn't talked about like consent or sexual assault. It was very just sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then it's like the talk when you're 12 years old about all the things like (laughs) sex and periods and your bodies and everything. And that doesn't equip you for being in a relationship years later. Like, so I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a very good education or background that helped to equip me going into a relationship in the first place. And this kid actually came from like the church that I was from. That was how I knew him. So I thought that like I could trust him. He's a good guy by the book. He fit, you know, all my standards. He seemed to be perfect on paper, but once I got to know him, I got to know like his true colors and it was very far from the truth. I mean, he was so charismatic and popular and everyone like adored him and loved him, respected him, wanted their daughters to date him or marry him. Like girls were swooning at his feet. Parents were, teachers were, church leaders. And so the fact that he started pursuing me and noticing me, I was like, what? Like super confused, but also like felt, I don't know, amazing because he chose me when he could have had so many other girls, it felt like. And so there was a lot of love bombing and grooming and it really happened super quick. It was like, he started talking to me because I was I was a very shy like quiet kid and so I didn't have very much interaction with like boys and so he started talking to me like I had known him for years prior but never had conversations and then it was like two weeks later he tells me he likes me like he has a crush on me he wants a relationship and then it was like our first date it was our first date he kissed me for, for, for the first time. And then all of a sudden I was his girlfriend, like in one day. So oh, wow. the whole thing like happened so fast. Um, and then it turned into something different so fast as well. Definitely all of the cycles and signs of abuse, like isolation, getting me away from my best friend and my family and my friend group and really making me dependent on him so it was always like this mindset of like us against the world and just fantasizing about lots of crazy stuff we were young but now that I think about it I'm like that is absolutely crazy like (laughs) that's not realistic at all but I also was coming from the background of my parents were high school sweethearts and they met at 16 and 17 so I was like this is going to be my story too now like I've met the one And he was very much feeding me that narrative of like, we're going to get married and we're going to have kids together and move away to this place. Like, I don't know, crazy stuff. There was a lot of the isolation, the love bombing, the grooming, 
and the emotional manipulation and abuse. And then I'd say like four to six months in, it turned to sexual abuse. I mean, the first time he sexually assaulted me was on Valentine's Day. So like he did this big, you know, date that was my hopeless romantic dreams. And, but then it was like, you owe me something. Like I did this for you. Now you owe me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always like that manipulation and that coercion with the sexual abuse of like, if you loved me, you would do this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like people that are in relationships, like this is just what you have to do. But then I was also coming from this religious background of like that shame and that you weren't supposed to have sex before marriage. So then I'm having like anxiety about that. And I'm like, all my self-worth goes out the window because that's like the culture that I'm in. And I mean, he's still putting on the facade and going to church and, you know, doing the things even though behind the scenes like he's not following the standards of the church I guess but I just had like so much social anxiety and shame that I couldn't even go to like the Sunday service without breaking down so I became like inactive because he like made me feel like I was one tempting him like I was it was my fault because he couldn't help himself. I mean, that was also the culture that I was from. Like, if you aren't dressing a certain way or acting a certain way, you're bringing that upon yourself. The boys can't control themselves. There's no accountability there. And so he very much played into that narrative as well, that it was my fault. Once the sexual abuse started, like my mental health deteriorated. Like all of a sudden, extreme anxiety and depression manifested, which I definitely was predisposed to suffer with anxiety, maybe even depression, but like I never experienced it to that severity until I was being abused. And so then I'm having like anxiety, panic attacks every single day, like debilitating depression where I'm like, can't even get out of bed. I can't even muster up enough effort and energy to put on a face and go to school like super shocked that I even graduated high school honestly but my mental health was terrible like I was a shell of myself so quickly that happened and thinking back he knew what he was doing like he was very calculated very controlling, very much understood his impact. Like, I know some of the narratives around abusers is like, I don't know, hurt people, hurt people, or like, you know, they don't understand their impact, or I don't know, whatever, their intentions were good. But like, there were very distinct moments where like, he admitted the to the harm that he was causing. Like, I would be sobbing having a panic attack and he'd sit there and be like I did this like you wouldn't be depressed if I wasn't in your life and he would like admit things like that to me which thinking back is like crazy um I don't know if that's even common or not but I would be like no 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 like 
give him this validation and protect him and be like, no, you helped me so much. Like, um, you're here when I'm depressed and you're here during these panic attacks and you help me do better and feel better. Um, because it was, it was both. It was like, he was there causing this destruction and this chaos. And because he was there, he was also there to like build me back up after he Mm -hmm. had broken me. And I think for external appearances, like my family thought of him as a savior, like my biggest blessing that he was willing to stand by my side while I was struggling so much and stick it out with me and love me anyway. And like, he would come at the drop of a hat to, you know, calm me down during an anxiety attack. And like, little did they know he had done something or said something to like provoke that anxiety attack. You know what I mean? So like that trauma bonding was real. (laughs) So I very much protected him and um, protected others view of him as well. So if anyone got an inkling of maybe something's going on, like I, I covered that up so well. I mean, no one knew what was going on no one knew my the extent to my mental health struggles outside of my house and him like no one at school or church or anything like knew at all because I was so good at putting on a face and putting on this like mask and filter and social media I it looked like I had this beautiful fun relationship Mm -hmm. and I can look back at like all these pictures and I'm like, they're all tainted. I can remember what was going on that day or a breakdown that happened or something that he had said or done to me. And so it's crazy looking back. And I've, because of that, vowed to on social media, try to be more authentic and real and take off that filter. I do a lot of like reality checks or I've gone back and like edited captions to different pictures to like be like, actually, this is what was going on that day. Or, you know, this picture might look super happy, but I really wasn't feeling that way this day. Maybe I was super depressed that was going on. Um, but I don't even know where I was going with that. Anyway. That's, that's okay. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was like, from the time he started pursuing me till the end that I actually cut him out for good, it was like a two year span. So I was like, 15 turning 16 until I was like 17 and a half, two years in high school that I was in this abusive relationship. And it was a really, really dark time in my life. And I definitely like attempted suicide on multiple occasions because it just felt like this was it for me. He was feeding me these narratives that like he was the only person capable of loving me And like, I was lucky that after seeing my struggles and my lows that he even stayed and and loved me anyway. So it was just, it was hard. And he actually ended up like ending things with me. And I really think like he had broken me to a point where it wasn't fun anymore for him. But like, 
he broke up with me, but it was also still wanting a hand in my life, still wanting that control. Mm-hmm. So he was like, nothing's going to change. We're still going to be best friends, just not the romantic side, but we're still going to get married. Oh and gosh. like, <laughs> I don't know, all of these promises and feeding me like two narratives that didn't match up. And it was super yeah. confusing for me. And obviously like it was devastating. And I was hysterical for like 48 hours after he had ended things like I had attempted suicide four times in those 48 hours because I really was like I can't live my life without him it was that intense so yeah he he still wanted me almost as like this side chick he still wanted that control but without the commitment and it stayed like that for quite a few months but honestly like I snapped out of it near the end of those 48 hours I was being held down physically like restrained by my parents to stop me from hurting myself and I was just like crying and when I have these breakdowns like I talk non-stop that everything that's going through my head is coming out and so I'm saying all of these horrible things like I will never find love again like I don't want to breathe anymore I can't do this and then all of a sudden, like something switched and it was super weird. Like I still don't understand what even happened, but like I started building myself back up. I don't know if I was just exhausted with like what I was doing and how things were going because obviously it wasn't working. And so I just like started saying the opposite of like, I can do this. I I'm going to be okay. Like I'm a badass and like through the tears, empowering myself, building myself back up. And I remember my sisters laughing in that moment because it was probably super weird to see also traumatizing to witness that. And they're younger than me, but like to see me crying and not wanting to live anymore to then like building myself back up Mm -hmm. and saying these like encouraging words to myself was probably so bizarre from the outside but then like from that day on I don't know I just got this like pep in my step where I was like I I can do this like I need to learn to love myself again because I really lost myself in that relationship I was a shell of myself and and there was so much self-loathing and So I was like, I'm committed to my mental health. I'm committed to learning to love myself. I think during, in that relationship, I mean, I was going to therapy Mm -hmm. like for a year during that relationship. But like, if you're, I was almost looking for outside sources to almost fix me or save me, whether that was him or my therapist or my parents. I never felt that I had that strength in myself or that I could do that for myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so like I was going through the motions of therapy, but it wasn't really making a difference because that's one hour in the week. What was I doing with all the other hours? I was being abused and I wasn't right. committed to actually like using those coping skills and and doing something about it. And so, and I get a question often of like well if you were really being abused like how didn't your therapist like 
pick up on that or know. Mm. And that that is now that I like think about that question, like it's because I protected him. It's because he was very controlling in that like every week after therapy, he'd be like, so what'd you talk about in therapy? One, so I could like be vulnerable with him and like use those things against me. But then two, to make sure that I wasn't saying anything about him. And I think I knew that if I were to mention, you know, like what was going on in that relationship that my therapist would have told my parents and Mm. they would have like made me break up with him or made like made it so I couldn't see him anymore. And I really thought that like I needed him to survive, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, which it like sounds bizarre now, but it's that is really like how dependent he made me on him. Yeah, I think once he was no longer in my life, I just got rejuvenated and I was like, I I am going to show up to therapy and actually put in the work to make a difference in my life. Like I can manage this anxiety and depression. Like I also think it lifted a lot once he was no longer in my life because I, he was provoking a lot of those things, but also because now I'm actually taking my mental health seriously. And because I got like that taste of empowerment when we were in that middle state where he was still like kind of trying to control things and control my view of him and the world and myself, like I pushed back and I was like, okay, I'm not doing this middle state because right now, like I'm prioritizing my mental health. And so anything that is not good for my mental health, like it's gone. I'm cutting that out. And right now, the only thing that's stopping me from progressing and moving forward is you and this situation. So I was kind of like gave him this ultimatum of like, you're either in or out. Like, I can't do this. That takes a lot of strength. (laughs) That takes a lot of strength. Yeah. It was just like, I can't do this guessing game anymore. Like I have never felt so like humiliated and dumb. You've made me feel like even more worthless than when we were in the relationship and he like wouldn't give me an answer and still was trying to string me along for like another month and I was like all right you know what I'm just gonna like make the decision I guess like I'm cutting you out no more and I mean there was still like throughout the next summer like him send dropping off like a 15 page letter and then letters to like my parents and all of these things like I mean he definitely was manipulating my parents as well I mean I say they're like secondary survivors because when he you know broke up with me immediately after leaving my room goes to my mom to go like feed her the story and so like really train them to like trust him over me and so like if I ever did have like cries of help or like did say something negative about him and our relationship, like they defended him. They took him into our home. He was a part of our family and he definitely like got in between my relationships with them. And so that was really hard, like coming out of that relationship, trying to like wake them up as well 
from his spell and his manipulation because he definitely had a hold on them. I guess that brings me to now and, you know, I started sharing my story and I'm no longer in it. It's been like two and a half years since, since then, I think, but yeah. Wow. You're (laughs) incredibly strong. And the fact that you recognized that that needed to be completely cut out at a young age is insane. (laughs) It's incredible because sometimes people go through this for years before they make any decision. So just having the strength and the power to completely cut that out, especially after everything you've been through, is so, it tells all the strength that you have. Thank you. I still don't know like where any of that came from. I'm just like, how did that shift even happen? Because it still blows my mind. I mean, it's really inspiring. And just listening to your story made me think of, you know, relationships that I've been that had, it's crazy how those personalities that are like master manipulators, they'll do anything to cover their image. You know, like it's just, that's their number one priority is Mm -hmm. like, well, I got to make sure I look good. Like, yeah, it's like they go to any length to do it. Mm -hmm. It's It's so true. And like, he definitely, I mean, I can't diagnose him, but he was sick. He was sick in the head. He had this like obsession with Hitler when we were dating on Snapchat, where you can like draw on yourself, draw a little mustache and part his hair and be like, Hill Hitler. And just Mm. gross stuff like that. Like I have (laughs) screenshots of pictures of him like that. That's just a weird obsession. And I, after the relationship, became friends with two of the exes, two of his ex-girlfriends. They were very similar. So, I mean, he has a type. But um, they just shared like during her relationship with him, he was super obsessed with Ted Bundy. And he like went to Ted Bundy's hideout and would take pictures and be like, if I were to kill anyone, it'd be you. You'd be the first one. And just like, just weird obsessions with people that were not good people. Or like I said, he, he would admit to his, um, abuse or his character. He would say so many times that he was numb. Like he couldn't feel anything that he was just like numb inside. I remember mm-hmm. him always saying that to me. And then I would be confused because I'd be like, if you're numb, like, how do I make you so happy then? Like, how do right. you love me? That doesn't make sense. And he's like, you made me feel again. And like, you saved me from this. And it yeah. was just super manipulative, but also super weird looking back because he totally knew what he was doing. Yeah. So it's kind of scary. It is scary. And it's like, if no one, my parents are also high school sweethearts, so I really, I really do. I feel yeah. like if no one like trains you to watch out for these things, like it's, it's almost like there's nothing you could have really done because like, I think it's a good quality to be trusting and right. these people know what they're doing. And like the manipulation is so second nature to them that they do it in such a subtle way that you don't yeah. see it happening. Right. And so it like makes sense. Like, and then later on, like in hindsight, you're like, wait, that was really weird. But, Mm -hmm. and like, unfortunately I went through this to find that out, but you don't get training early in your life to say like, Mm -mm. if someone does this, this is abnormal. And like, watch out for these crazy signs. Like 
Right. Yeah. Well, and like that was my first relationship. So I didn't know any better. Like I had nothing to compare it to going into that. And I think he really used that to his advantage as well. But like, I remember once I was out of it and I started making friends with new people and, you know, like seeing their relationships and comparing it, I was like, it's not normal that he would treat me in these certain ways or like sex is supposed to be enjoyable and not leave you feeling like dirty and worthless Mm -hmm. and used like making those connections and like almost seeing the real world again. I was like, wait, this wasn't normal at all. And I was also trying to think of like the moment that I realized it was abuse. Cause definitely when I was like putting my mental health first and like becoming empowered, I still wasn't realizing the impact of that relationship or what it truly was. But I had like my first friend after the abuse, I think she handled it really well. And I know like when people ask, like, if you have a friend in a relationship, like, what do you do? How do you help them? I think she handled it really well because she didn't, like when I was describing different things that would happen in the relationship or how it made me feel it wasn't like she came in accusing or attacking and saying like Whitley this was abuse or like you were raped like she shared stories she shared like an instance with her best friend and how like manipulative it was and how toxic it really was but she was like she was my best friend and my only person and you know I loved her and so I like made excuses for those things and even though they were impacting me in terrible ways and I was miserable like I excused those things or she told me about um her mom who was raped in high school and so she like told me that and then told me like how her mom reacts today if she runs into that guy or you know like triggers or trauma and then um another example that she told me was Kesha because Kesha was like her favorite artist and Mm -hmm. she told me about like Kesha's abusive relationship and then like the meanings behind some of her songs and that helped me to reflect on my relationship and draw parallels. I was like, hmm, if your mom is reacting in these certain ways to seeing him again, and I'm having those same experiences when I'm seeing him at school or seeing like his same car. Yeah. That like, that's weird. Like, why would I be experiencing that? And I think she helped me reflect on that and then kind of asked those questions to help me come to the realization myself and once I did I mean like I started doing kind of research and listening to podcasts and reading books and um, it was just very validating and helped me like put vocabulary and language to what I experienced and so like once I came back to her and I was like I don't think the Um, sexual interactions in that relationship were consensual and I don't think like I think I was raped by him and she was like I mean yeah I think so too I've Mm -hmm. I've thought that but I wasn't gonna like say it um, until you were ready to accept that or realize that for yourself so I think she was like a really good friend and and handled it really well 
but yeah that anyway. is a friend and it sounds like she validated you and yeah. just here yeah I feel like hearing someone else's situation but not necessarily like saying this is what you should do yeah at least shows you like if you are having these reactions like it's not something that is weird about you like mm-hmm. and you're also not alone like this is like your brain is reacting to an abnormal situation right right it's just that validation of like you're not crazy for reacting in this way or like experiencing these things exactly yeah yeah I mean I I feel for you and I appreciate you sharing your story and I like I said I I see parallels within what Mm -hmm. I've experienced in the past dating too like I dated someone at 25 who was in the military um, mm-hmm. I mean, not that everyone in the military is bad, but like, <laughs> you know, there, sometimes there's a stereotype and mm-hmm. I had heard stories about the stereotypes and I ignored it. And unfortunately I ran into one of the bad apples mm-hmm. and I was really trusting. Like when I met him, huge chemistry, like sparks flying, like thinking, right. oh my God, this is amazing. Like he's so handsome. We get along so well. Right. And, but then everything was a grand gesture. Like you were saying, like it mm-hmm. was like our first Valentine's after like a month. And it was like <laughs> a, a Michael Kors watch, flowers, a hot air balloon, right? Like all for one, one Valentine's day. And it's like, yeah. Uh, I think my sister even was trying to tell me, like, I think that was, that's a little weird that he gave yeah. you such big gifts. And I was like, oh, that's just who he is. I know, right. lo, and, lo and behold, down the line, like, you know, it's my birthday. Like, he blacked out, went through my phone, was looking at text messages before I even met him, throwing my phone, like, calling me names, like, you're a slut, all this stuff. And, like, I looked back on that and I'm like, how did I not see the red flags in the beginning? Right. No, like, how did I not see them? But then learning about, I believe he was an, a narcissist. But, yeah, same yeah. with mine. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm convinced of that now. But <laughs> just learning about how this stuff like this can happen, it's like, well, it kind of makes sense. Like, I was very trusting. Like, right. they're really good at doing this. Like, they tend to pick people who are trusting because and it's like well all I did was be a a person that trusts people Mm -hmm. and this person is really the problem yeah yeah I had similar instances of him like looking through my phone when I was I like the first time that happened I was we were going somewhere, but I had to run back home to get my wallet or something. So I run inside and leave my phone on the the chair and I come back out and he's like scrolling through my text messages. And I was like, excuse me. And like, we hadn't been dating for very long. And he had just saw that, like, I was talking to some of my guy friends from another state, like, that I had grown up with. We were like brothers and he accused me of like cheating on him and just freaked out. And like when he was angry, he would like drive super fast and recklessly, which is just like scary to be in a car and like feel so unsafe, but it was just the intimidation. But like those crossing of boundaries were huge and so often. And it was just like, 
I mean, that was part of the isolation too, of just like showing such anger or like getting upset over little things like that, that were normal. Like I should be allowed to have a friend group with like guys and girls that I can hang out with outside of you, but him like getting upset when I choose to hang out with them. So then like, without even realizing it, I stopped choosing to hang out with them to spare his anger. Yeah. Or like I, I cut off these guy friends from out of state to spare his anger and yeah. to just like keep the peace in the relationship. So it isn't even like him directly saying like, you can't hang out with them or you can't be friends with them. I mean, sometimes it was that, but like just creating, you know, the intimidation or the fear yeah. or just, you know, the emotional mental abuse that you almost just do it yourself. Yeah. And will they put you in a situation to walk on eggshells? Like you Mm -hmm. feel like you have to be on eggshells and you do make decisions to avoid an an anger-filled reaction. Totally. It's just like survival. Yeah, totally. I remember the feeling too of like I had convinced myself that I wasn't gonna find another like Mm -hmm. chemistry and love like this because it was so passionate like what if I don't find this and then you know like doing crazy stuff like okay fine I'll delete all these contacts in my phone they don't matter but it's like what like I now I'm like if if my fiance told me to delete a contact I'd be like fuck yourself like like I it's just crazy like seeing the the comparison but at one point like telling myself like oh I'm not gonna find that Mm -hmm. it's yeah the minute they lay the manipulation on thick so right speaking in all this too it's like I feel like sometimes people don't realize either why someone would stay for a while Mm -hmm. or like why don't you just get out of it things happen in a way that you don't always see it coming. And then when you're in the thick of it, it's that trauma bond that you spoke to, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and like, they're not abusive 24 seven and like, they're not abusive at the beginning. Like they have to reel you in or reel you back in after an episode like that so that you don't leave. Like they're not abusive on the first date. They mirror you and they love bomb you. And Yes. make you feel like it's too good to be true like it's so perfect and then you know things switch but then there's also the good moments that keep you in and it's like you know it's me if I just stop provoking him so that you know he could be his good self or his real self or if we could get just get back to what it was before like clinging on to that hope yeah. and they just I mean, really use that. I mean, I remember so many like apology gestures where he'd show up with flowers and like a bunch of gifts that were like super random for just a a day in the middle of the week. But because he knows he did something that Mm -hmm. made me, you know, scared or feel worthless, like he has to come in to build me back up and be my little savior. And I don't know, just like having that much power in someone's life is scary. I th- I think back, like when I'm trying to reflect of how, what I want my relationships now to look like, it's like, I think when we're so young and it 
can happen when you're older, but especially in high school or college, like you just want someone to validate you. You want someone to love you, call you beautiful, tell you you're smart and you're the greatest because it's harder to do that for yourself. It's harder to love yourself and think that you have worth and that you're beautiful. So it's like an easy button to fill that with someone else. And so like putting that much power in their hands to make you happy and make you feel good about yourself is just a dangerous slippery slope because then they have the power to take that away. To take away that feeling of feeling loved and needed and like you have worth. And so that is super, super scary. So like if you, I always say like, you have to have that within yourself first. If you love yourself and you are happy on your own, that's great. Your partner should make you happier. They shouldn't make you happy, period. Just having that, almost like that energy source within yourself instead of like externally. Definitely. And I... I have like two different thoughts about like how I wish they would teach us in school early on, like sure, like math and reading and writing is great, but mm-hmm. I'm like, there should be some social emotional components. Like, right? why don't we have a class on like self-worth, self-esteem, self-love, like teaching these things like that. Yeah. Happiness comes from within, but also like, I don't, I don't know your thoughts on this, but like when I'm thinking back to how early on, either in high school or college, you're very, not impressionable. I don't know if that's the right word for what I want to say, but I'm thinking about how, like, when I was in high school, I was really shy. I'm still pretty introverted, but like, yeah, I just, yeah, I recharge alone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I, I wouldn't call myself popular at all. I mean, I had friends, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't part of that group, but like, knowing that there's like a not pyramid but that that's a dynamic that exists a lot in high Mm -hmm. school it's like for me I felt like um besides my friend group like I didn't get a lot out of high school socially but then it it left an impression on me whereas like when I went to college like I just wanted to be really well liked and like Mm. wanted something else so I one of my first uh relationships outside of high school did end up being like a really toxic relationship just when you brought up like how especially when we're younger like how this can go down I feel like it would be great if we can reinforce like self-worth from a young age and like but even I say that but then like half me wants to take that back because I'm like (laughs) I don't want to blame any yeah happens to that like it's because of their self-worth and more that just so we can build just in general yeah just in general yeah but also like I don't know like there should be education on watching out for this and then yeah a lot and consent education and yes about like sexual assault versus like consensual sex and you know like what abuse looks like if you're being abused like I didn't know any of that stuff like same Like I said, afterwards, I had to really like dive in and and find the knowledge and the resources so that I could describe what had happened to me because I just didn't understand. Like, I mean, I was such an innocent, like little girl. I thought everyone that 
was inherently good and it really shatters your view of the world it and does. creates this like hypervigilance of can I even trust these people that are you know so nice and so charismatic and popular and well-liked because like my abuser was just like that and yeah. so it's hard navigating you know the real world and your life afterwards because not that I'm like jaded but it definitely shatters your rose-colored glasses it does I felt I yeah I felt jaded after I felt like I I was so trusting of like anybody and then I just felt like oh my gosh like can I trust like people like can I date again and be able to trust anyone or are they gonna hurt me yeah so I, I know what you're saying I know you have a found a foundation and the stigma. Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. to hear more about this because I feel like you, you know, you've taken something so painful and are advocating for mental health and so many important things and just having people know that they're not alone is so important. So yeah. Can you tell us about um yeah. that foundation? Yeah. So and the stigma is a mental health foundation. And why it's named that is just because there is a heavy stigma and shame around mental health, mental illness. And because there's a heavy stigma and shame around it, it also creates that stigma around receiving help and things like therapy and medication and treatment, talking about it. And so, and the stigma, we're really just working to break down that stigma and normalizing that like, okay, even if you don't have a mental illness, like diagnosis, you still have mental health. We all have a brain. We all have to take care of our brain. And, you know, even if you don't suffer with anxiety, depression, like different things, you can struggle with your mental health, like perfectionism or stress or burnout, like so many different things. Um, So yeah, we um, are just a foundation to raise awareness break down those stigmas, talk about it. And I had, um, I had shared the first hashtag no filter story. So we have this series, um, with videos and letters and we call them hashtag no filter stories. Uh, It was like two months after I was out of that abusive relationship that because I was like getting a grip on my mental health, I, kind of took over and the stigma because I was in a good place where I was like coping and I could actually take on more. And like I said, I had painted this perfect picture on social media and no one at school or no one online, no one outside of my household knew what I was going through. And that was exhausting. That was exhausting to put on a face every day. And there were so many days where I like just felt like I couldn't do it. So I would stay home. And so I was like, I'm done. I'm done playing this like character. I just did like a 10 minute video where I was like, I'm a survivor of anxiety and depression. I've been going through this for however long, like I'm the same person that you know and love, but like, I'm just struggling a little bit sometimes. And 
it was just really powerful. I got so much feedback of like, oh my gosh, me too. Like a relief to know that I'm not the only one because I definitely felt like that when I was in the dark depths of my hell. I thought I was the only one around me experiencing that. I thought I was totally crazy for it. And so it really just gave people a moment to say like, me too, like, and give people permission to talk about it and to start those conversations. And so now we have like so many people um, sharing their own no filter stories or just even doing little reality checks on social media and opening up little by little. And then we also, um, I started here locally in Las Vegas for support groups with my therapist. Um, I mean, it started with one, but it grew to four because it was popular um, for teens. And yeah, it was really nice to have little support groups with other kids in your area that are going through the same things. And then, you know, like being able to have that community and talk about it. And then also a therapist there to like facilitate and, you know, take something out of those different group sessions. And yeah, I grew. And then there's a, the fourth one is for parents of teens that are struggling with their mental health because it is hard on the parents and it's hard to navigate because you don't know what to do and what's best for them. And so we have those locally. And then, yeah, just sharing like resources and different like graphics on social media to help start up conversations and, you know, end the stigma again, break down different myths around mental health and mental illness. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's that. That's awesome. The support, yeah. support groups are so valuable, so mm-hmm. valuable, so needed. So I, I imagine how many people you're impacting by setting yeah. that. And yeah. That's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. You, you know, you've been through this journey and overcome like a hell. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, I guess this is going backwards a little bit, but mm-hmm. how did you get from you know, being in therapy, knowing that your mental health is number one priority, mm-hmm. cutting out this tox- toxic that was in your life to having the courage to speak out about it and also start, like, have your podcast that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So um, actually starting with sharing my um, struggles with anxiety and depression, I had seen... So, and the stigma is actually a sister foundation with um, a foundation called the Emily Effect. And my mom's the co-founder of that one. And it's for like maternal mental health. So moms suffering with like postpartum anxiety and depression. So um, a little like backstory. I think it was like three days after he had broken up with me, I went with my mom to meet up with a bunch of women that were going to create these videos these their foundation calls them letters of light and and share their stories of mental illness after pregnancies and it was like four ladies back to back that were doing videos and that was just really inspiring for me to see women in my life that were had gone through these things and were so strong and were willing to speak up about them to help other people. One of the 
ladies that shared her story, she had said something and she said, it's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay that way. Mm-hmm. And that just like, it resonated with me so much and it changed so much for me. And that's, I think part of like where that all of a sudden, like motivation to, you know, like cope in better ways with my mental health came from. Cause I was like, yeah, you're right. Like it is okay to struggle, but I don't want to unpack and live here. Like I am miserable and I do want to do something about it. And so being able to share my story through end the stigma, I think focusing on that and finding purpose in that really got me through the breakup and that void in my life and kind of rebuilding where I was like something to look forward to and to strive for and, you know, like finding that purpose in, in this foundation and this message. And then I had such good feedback from that, which is really great when you are super vulnerable and like putting yourself out there, like it's scary and it makes it worth it when you like hear other people's stories and how it impacted them. And so then when I was like starting to like come to terms with my abuse, um, my family was super supportive. I, my parents are amazing. Like they're, little blessings. I, um, my dad was the first person that I like told that I thought it was like rape and sexual abuse. And he like the first words out of his mouth were, I believe you and I'll support you with whatever you need going forward to heal. And that was just like super, super empowering and validating moment to this, this man in my life that I was just confiding in this scary thing that believed me automatically. I didn't even have to like explain myself or try to, you know, like convince him. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, I see it. I believe you. So I think not everyone has the privilege to be able to share safely. And I, I did like, I came from a really good support system and was surrounded by people that believed me and were really like there for me through my healing journey and like whatever that looked like. And so I felt like I was in a good place to be able to also share like the abuse I had faced. I, I don't know. I just had this super like moment of clarity and peace where it was just like overwhelming amounts of peace where I was like, this is my purpose. Like the reason I survived all of those suicide attempts and the reason I survived this abuse was so I could live to share my story and like talk about it and speak up about it and, and help other people that are in that situation by speaking up about it. And so, yeah, I just had this moment where I was like, this is, this is my purpose. This is my calling. And then that, just propelled me into, you know, sharing a part two hashtag no filter story where I was like, I'm taking off like another layer of this filter. And like alongside my anxiety and depression, I was also being abused and like, you know, I was provoked in a lot of ways. And 
opened up about that. And then I, that was only like a 10 minute video and I got a really good response again. And so many like girls in high school up until 60 year old women. I mean, like a 60 year old lady that had said like, I think I went through the same thing in high school and I've never told anyone that. And it was just like, so empowering to, again, be surrounded by other survivors that had gone through similar things. And it was like, this isn't as rare as I thought it was. Like, I'm not the only one. And there's so many people around me that have also experienced this. And so, yeah, after that 10-minute video, I was like, I have to keep talking about this. And so I'm going to start a podcast. So, yeah, I originally started the podcast to continue telling my story. And then it's obviously grown from there, from, like, sharing other people's stories. I'm actually right now, like, actually writing out my whole story, like, beginning to end because throughout the years I've been keeping like a running document of notes just whenever I'm triggered or have nightmares you know flashbacks breakthroughs in therapy I've just like written it down because writing and journaling has been really therapeutic for me and so I have just like pages upon pages of notes so I'm finally like sorting through them and writing it all out to share the whole thing on my podcast finally so so yeah that's kind of my journey to where I am now wow and it's incredible to hear like that you had well you for one you've impacted so many and given them permission to know what they've been through and to feel supported and empowered and then also having that realization that this could be part of my purpose right it's it's such a I've had that feeling before of like I mm-hmm. think this is my purpose and it's yeah it's crazy because you you don't always real like it's like if you would have asked me five years ago I would have never realized yeah. this could be my purpose like right I would have never picked it but obviously uh-uh. like now that uh, on this side of it, it's like there's signs you see just that inner voice that kind of tells you mm-hmm. yeah like the, yeah that that's and knowing who you're helping and how much it's needed too right yeah, yeah. that's Thank great you. yeah that's great it does take a level of being vulnerable to be able to kind of show like oh you know it might look like I'm having this perfect life <laughs> on my Instagram or I don't know like Twitter or Facebook or right. anything <laughs> and like actually like that I have struggles too. And this is what I've been struggling with. And like, not all of that that you see is real. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I feel like, yeah, I've, I've done months without Instagram before. Cause I'm like, yeah, done with the, I don't want to do watch all this fake stuff <laughs> messes with my head. And I'm like, Oh, should I be further along in this? Or like mm-hmm. the comparison know, trap oh, is real. It's so real. Yeah. So real. Yeah. So I know I was listening to an episode you had um, earlier today and you mentioned how like during the pandemic right now that you've been journaling a lot, like you've had the time Mm -hmm. to do that. What other things help you with self-care, especially like we both have, I struggle with anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. had panic attacks. What helps you with self-care? Definitely therapy. 
I mean, I've been going to therapy for three years and I've tried all sorts of different therapists and types of therapy. I went through EMDR for a period Mm -hmm. to help with the triggers and the trauma. Um, But I mean, I look forward to my weekly therapy appointment. It's my favorite. And I've I've been doing um, recently a self-compassion workbook by Kristen Neff. And that's been amazing to actually be a little bit kinder to myself because even though I preach, you know, self-love and self-care, I realize I'm actually not that easy on myself. I'm not that nice to myself a lot of times. So I've been Mm -hmm. doing that recently. That's been my recent um, inner work. But um, music has also been a huge part of my healing. If anyone listens to my podcast, that's like, how I end my episodes is like music because I don't know being able to drive around in my car and turn it up loud and feel it in my body and lyrics that sometimes explain how I'm feeling before I even knew what I was feeling or like what I needed to hear that day or in that moment like it's just music is powerful and it's healing definitely journaling as well being able to like process my emotions and almost just like get them out of my head because mm-hmm. with my anxiety it's like they're swirling oh, nonstop yeah. and I'm spiraling so just being able to like release them and, and let them go on a pa- piece of paper like super super nice I've also done like lots of grounding techniques because of anxiety or, you know, stress or even just, I don't know, like feeling overwhelmed or that comparison. I love to go on barefoot walks around my neighborhood or just like feel the grass in my backyard or the dirt, you know, underneath my feet and being able to, again, get out of my head and come back to myself and to the present moment and actually like feel the the earth beneath my feet um it's just like super super grounding for me I've also done a lot of yoga and and meditation I'm hopefully if COVID is not a thing in the spring doing like a (laughs) yoga teacher training um that's so cool. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. We're hoping. Because yoga has been also super healing. Just being able to like reconnect with my body because after being abused, like it was really hard to, you know, learn to love my body again and learn to trust myself and, and listen to my intuition. And I think yoga has connected all of that for me again, you know, like the mind, body, spirit. And I think quarantine and like no longer having a yoga studio to go to has actually like deepened my yoga practice and my own like intuition because I'm doing a yoga flow by myself just based off of like what my body needs and what I feel. And so, yeah, that's been kind of cool, but I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely (laughs) does. And I was thinking, like, you have such good energy to be a yoga teacher. Like, thank you. Calming, like you have a calming voice, like calming (laughs) energy. And there's so much like need for trauma informed yoga. 
Yeah. Trauma-informed yoga is really cool, really powerful. Really powerful. Yeah. I totally feel you on the, like, getting, walking around barefoot. Like, I <laughs> I hug trees a lot. Like, yes. <laughs> my fiance is just used to it now. Like, we go on a hike or a walk and, like, I, he knows, like, I'm just going to stop and hug a tree for a little bit. And he just waits and, like, that's just who she is. Like, it's okay, everybody. But it is so healing to be in nature and like mm-hmm. be I had a therapist once tell me that being skin to skin like with the earth or mm-hmm. or like anything in nature is good for you yeah that is healing. I believe it so healing. that's awesome yeah and I always like to ask to any positive story that you have like someone maybe you've come across or anything, I guess anyone you've interacted with that you can share, like if there's anything that comes to mind that's like memorable or positive. Mm. What you shared with your family, I feel like too, is also really positive. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My family's amazing. Um, I feel like in the space of like survivors, just the different communities I've been in, I went to, um, there is this foundation called Honey, and they're just for, like, sexual assault survivors, and I went to an in-person dinner, like, a survivor's dinner, and being there, like, surrounded by other people that I knew got it and, you know, supported me. I didn't have to explain myself or prove myself or any of that, like, and I felt safe, and I felt like my guard not in a bad sense, but like my walls come down where like, I didn't feel like I had to be super hyper vigilant and checking over my shoulder or, you know, like prove myself to them. Like I just felt safe and supported and understood and believed and validated. Like it was such an amazing feeling. It was like a hug, even though I wasn't physically being hugged, but being in that intimate dinner with all of these men and women, it was, it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. And that actually, a similar experience going to um, Safe Nest here locally, which they're like a um, domestic violence shelter. And I was going through the training to be a volunteer before COVID happened. Um, (laughs) So earlier this year. And again, like being in that room with like-minded people that had the same purpose or just the same like drive to help survivors and be there for them, like, again, just felt like safe in that room with those people that I didn't know a single person before I went in there, but somehow felt like just a relief. Like it, I don't know. It's just really powerful to have that community and people to empower you and um, buoy you up is, is really cool. Yeah. I feel like too, in my experience, I remember one time meeting a survivor at like a take back the night event Mm-hmm. And it was like, we started talking cause she was going to be one of the speakers. And then I don't know, like what we even really talked about, but it's like this instant connection that you can't really describe right. like get each other. Yeah. Like, that's how I felt. Yeah. So it, yeah, when you, 
It's like even if you're the the fine lines are different and the the details of your stories are different like the feelings are universal and that's cool yes and it's like everyone comes together to fight a common cause and I Mm -hmm. and I feel like it is truly empowerment because I feel like in those spaces I've never seen this sense of like competition or right. you know, like who needs to be the best. It's like no, we're all here because we yeah. all yeah no like one upping in trauma. <laughs> it's just like no, it doesn't matter how severe it's been. Like we all have gone through it. Yeah, definitely. And I know, like I went to a conference recently that was for trauma, abuse, and violence, and even, it was virtual, but, like, Mm -hmm. even with it being virtual, I felt like being as part of that conference and watching the keynotes and messaging with people and what what have you, I was, like, wow, like, I feel like this is where I belong, like, this is the field I belong in, because I just feel like these people get it, and, like, they have the values I have, and we all want to help people and we all care about um, a violence-free future. And yeah. 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 It's, it's a beautiful space to be in for sure. Yeah. So where can people find you? So I have a podcast, obviously we've mentioned, um, it's called in the wake with Whitley and you can find my hashtag no filter stories, my podcast, and the stigma all on my website, which is just Whitley.com, my first name. And that's same with most of my social media. It's just Whitley um, because it's a unique spelling. And I hang out on Instagram the most, um, whether that's my personal account, Whitley, or in the wake with Whitley, and same with end the stigma. So yeah. That's my podcast, and the stigma um, is the foundation, which, I mean, I should have said endthestigma.org, but it's also on Whitley.com. So, yeah. Okay. I think that's yeah. all the things. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today and sharing your story. I feel like just having people hear this story and see what you have overcome and, the you know, like where you are now and how you're advocating for mental health is going to be so inspiring for people to hear. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for, I mean, giving me the opportunity to share my story and then also just being like such a warm and welcoming host. I just feel like so comfortable and I don't even think I remembered most of the time we were recording because it just felt like a conversation with a friend so thank you yeah no I feel that too yeah thank you so much for tuning in today if you liked the content in today's episode please rate and review this episode subscribe share it with a friend and check us out on social media on Instagram at Voices Not Victims, Twitter at Voices Not Victim, and on Facebook with the group Voices Not Victims. I would love to connect with you there. Feel free to send a message and let me know what content you would like to see in the next upcoming episodes. Until then, we will see you next time. (laughs) 